Jim Lynn, Annapolis Center, do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Aries 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra-bright, and really moving. Right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac, Wanwan, and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. But first, let me introduce the members of the posse. You know what, girls? Sorry. Uh, but you do not have to get your misters tonight. You do not have to have your large box of Kleenex, your big box of wipes, your squeegee or your lube, because the very famous one one is not here. He's tied up once again with the British bureaucracy, something they're famous for. So, um, but he'll be joining us next week. No Coco tonight, out saving the world. However, however, our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Wood, is here. Switchy. It, it is great to be here a, a couple slots up. You know where I'm making uh, several bucks over minimum wage for a change? Uh-huh. Okay. Climbing on the backs of one of our war heroes and someone who's in legal trouble. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, people see pretty soon that who needs those guys anyway? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so um, also with us is our favorite good witch up there in Sideways Eye. Raven is with us. Raven, how are you tonight, Raven? Hi, my friends. I am okie-dokie up here. Okie-dokie up there. Now, listen, no bun tonight. Uh, is there a bun tonight? No, I no bun. See. Okay. I got my hair cut last week, nice. so I'm, I'm again, I'm in that. Um, I'm not really sure how to do a bun with, with this yet. It's okay. I, I never really figured it out last time either. Tonight, you're looking like uh, the um, sister in heart who has the dark hair when they first came out before she <laughs> up the Okay, you have you kind of have that uh, that look, that rock star look. Just just Thanks. before the <laughs> also well, the Elvira the Elvira look, you know. Oh, yeah. I like that. Also that yes, uh, uh, that voice you hear is uh, Uncle Al the Kitty's pal, Al Romano, UFO mechanic. <laughs> Al, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mac. How's everyone doing? Okay, good. Are, are we are we? Uh, all caught up on our, on the Queen's funeral and Why? watched all the processions and all the... What, did she die? I hope so. <laughs> wow. I'll tell you. are talking about the group, right? Here's the thing. Yeah, really. Yeah. I, I like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Here's the thing. And, and, and because while I was in here, we, we, we probably shouldn't belabor it, but I, watch, I have the TV on all day, you know, anyway, right? Not paying attention, but it's on all day. There, there were people lined up at one point to see her and it was a 24-hour wait. The line was like eight or nine miles long, okay? All right, and it showed it, and it was unbelievable. You know, that like snaking through the, you know, it, it was unbelievable, and all I can think of is who else would they show up, f you know, and wait for 24 hours to see? If the Pope died, you wouldn't have that kind of crowd. 
you wouldn't have it if a, a president died. Or, you know, Elvis. you know what I mean? There Elvis. Was this not even uh, yeah, but not Elvis. It, it, people, I don't think people. Well, you know what? I'll tell you. That's probably the closest you can get though. You're right, Switchy. That's probably the closest you can get. But it's like she was everyone's grandmother. Maybe I finally figured it out. She was like everyone's grandmother on that island. Okay, no real power. Lots of money. Lots of kind of pomp and circumstance going on. Lots of uh, drama in the family. But I don't think they really do a whole lot other than they're the face of Britain. Someone said the other day, they're the face of Britain. You know, you know I, I, this is really embarrassing, but it's funny. So I'm going to tell it. I just found out what their last name was. This whole time I was just like, oh, yeah, the, the queen or Prince Harry or whatever right. their names are. And it never occurred to me that they had a last name until I heard someone say it. Yeah, and I was like, I'm stupid because I didn't it? even it didn't even click in my brain that they have that a, they last had name? a last name. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I, I what I, what is it? It's the Windsors. Windsors, right? Windsors. Yeah. I don't know. I always thought they were Windsors, but obviously not. Well, so listen. Why? Here's here's the real here's the real story. So if you go back to pre World War One, the guy who is the king is I think brothers with the guy who's the king of Germany, the head of Germany. All right, they're, they're either brothers or cousins, and 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 their name was like Schickelgruber or something. So, <laughs> so they didn't want the, the they didn't What's want your language. You know, they didn't want the uh, the British royalty to have the name Schickelgruber. So they they just came up with a with a name Windsor, and so that's their last name Windsors. But they're actually German. That's the weird thing about it. And her husband, the Prince Philip, he was Greek. Because they they were like at the tail end of that thing. Like if we arrange marriages, we're going to be able to you know have partnerships and allies and all that stuff, you know. And then she fools everyone, and she's there for you know ninety six freaking years. But anyway, I mean, she was a popular person. I mean, for, for people to wait, and there's that David Beckham, the famous guy. He's in the freaking crowd. He still had six hours to go when they talked to him. And who would do that, you know? But I'm going to see how long Elvis's line was. But Elvis is very close. You're right. Even when the well, the Beatles and stuff, they have like private services. But I'm, I'm on it. It's like baseball to them. There was one scene. There was one shot where it it's like stretched like five the the, the you know the the parade the procession stretched like five miles. And it's all these guys on horses with the big hats and the. It, it's just amazing the pomp and circumstance. How do you practice this? You know, you're waiting for her to die. I mean, how do you rever- how, how do you rehearse such a huge, huge undertaking? You know, you imagine what it costs. But they did. Oh, it's going to cost them three billion dollars because they shut down the banks for three days during her thing. Banking holidays cost Britain a billion dollars a day when the banks are closed. Thank you, Liz. Anyway, well, there go the remaining listeners we had in the UK. Get that cat out of here. Okay, so uh, we have an interesting show for you tonight. We have a. Um, I guess Don from UK, unless he's listening and has bailed out, he's going to be talking to us about fairies. Is that right, Raven? Yeah, he's actually currently writing um, a book called Encounters with Fairies, Ghosts, and Spirits. Mm. Uh, that's Mr. Neil Peel. I love that alliteration. Neil that's Peel. That's what that's called, right? Yes. Yep. For rhyming? Uh, is it? I yeah, know. I don't know. I didn't. I think <laughs> I went to film school. I didn't go to any of the other fancy schools. No, uh, up. you went to film school. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> uh huh. Anyway, was so, that uh, eight millimeter film school? <clears throat> wow. Oh, do I have to come out there you to heard him smack you around? Tarantino and stuff. No, no. Switchy's <laughs> always been with me. Uh, so anyway, so we're going to be talking to him about uh, fairies, and then later on we're going to be talking to Dr. Bob Gross, our friend out there in Chicago which he reports is still a toddling time. 
and he was inter- he was uh, involved in a very interesting NASA secret program a few years ago. Now, NASA is about as we speak. NASA is about to um, well, they're going to try to launch this Artemis moon rocket sometime within the next month or so. And this thing is really kind of crazy. It's kind of um, orbit the moon. It's going to be very low over the moon, 60 miles above the moon's surface. And then it's going to go fly way, way out and come back. And they get like fake humans on it to check the radiation and stuff. Really kind of crazy. And basically what it is is it's 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 a rocket that they're going to send to the moon to kind of uh, set up a um, almost like a gas station and then from the moon go to Mars. So this is, um, you know, this is something that they're going to do 50 years later. They are going to go to the moon and then they're, you know, going to go to Mars. But before all this started uh, even being talked about, Dr. Gross, Bob, Dr. Bob was involved in this um, uh, this program where they were looking for people who would who would be the most adaptable on the moon. And it turns out they were Native Americans. Okay, so he was involved in some kind of a secret program where NASA was talking to Native Americans about being the first in a- astronauts to go back to the moon. I think I have that right. Uh, so uh, that's our two guests tonight, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. Haunted painting, Raven? I got a little piece um, on a haunted painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll leave it at that. Okay, good. All right. Leave them one thing. Tease. It's a tease. They sound it. So we do, right. I'm sorry. we do have a top ten list, though, as it turns out. Uh, I sent it to you, uh, Right. I got it twice. Got it twice? I know okay. that you never want that, that yeah, one did it, time uh, to happen again when you I, forgot to send it to me. I ad-libbed <laughs> it last week, and boy, oh boy, what a disaster that was. But anyway, so I think tonight uh, the top ten list is top ten reasons why the uh, radio gang here might not be invited back to the Exeter, Film Fe- uh, the Exeter UFO Festival. Let me do that again. Film Festival. Okay. <laughs> top ten reasons why uh, the gang here might not be um, invited back to the UFO film. See, I went to film school. It's film festival on my mind. Let's try it again. Top 10 reasons why the radio gang here might not be invited back to the Exeter UFO festival and conference next year. We were there over Labor Day weekend. Uh, you know, there was a few, there's a little bit of drama. Uh, but, uh, you know, if someone was taking score, it might not. We might not be invited next year. Let's see. Anyway, there's the build up. Why don't we start the music? Raven, you have the list. I have the list. Uh, number ten. Not enough Teddy for President T-shirts, resulting in a riot. That's what happened. See, then the cops had to come, and it was awkward. Okay, next, please. Number nine. Number nine. Many attendees mistook club for Whitey Bulger and fled in panic. True <laughs> story. Remember the gunshots we heard there, Al? That's what that was about. Please, number eight. Uh, Number eight. uh, Mac was caught on an open mic saying, two Cocker Spaniels? I said, two Jack Daniels. (laughs) They should have turned the mics off, really. Next, please. Switchy's there. Uh, Switchy's saying, glad I wasn't there. Go ahead. Next, please. Number seven. uh, Lois's agent insists she will not be available. Okay, already with the diva right. Next, please. (laughs) Number six. Uh, looking back on it, the food fight at the end of our talk was probably ill-advised. Right. Okay. Maybe, you know, wasting all that food didn't look good. Next, please. Wow. Uh, number five. Uh, um, 
And we could have done without the gray alien strippers, too. See, that was Al's idea. Oh, that didn't go well too well. <laughs> Next. You brought the pole in. Hang on. Next, please. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Uh, it turned out trashing our dressing room was not as cool as we thought. Remember? We thought we were going to... As it turns out, we were in the basement. We had to push the TV out the window. It wasn't as exciting. Next, please. Wow. Oh, dramatic. <laughs> Number three. Um, it was hard to be heard over the angry crowd chanting, no bun, no fun. <laughs> they had pitchforks, some of them. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Switchy. Switchy. <laughs> He's not trying to laugh yet. This is one of those highbrow UFO festivals, right? <laughs> Next, please. Raven. Uh, number two. Uh, let's face it. Coco throwing up on his microphone pretty much sealed our fate. That was it. <laughs> yeah. He almost threw up over Peter Robbins. Get rid of that cat. Get that cat out of there. <laughs> wow. No. Oh, oh, look at how stoned that oh, cat is. Oh, my think... God. Little red eyes on him. I got three of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, please, Raven, is it number one? It is number one. Okay. Uh, and the number one reason the gang might not be invited back to the Exeter, not film festival, oh. UFO festival. Yes. The girls wanted one one. Wow, we'll sweeten that up. Okay. Boom. All right. Uh, Butter Boom is right. Correct. So listen, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a commercial break now? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Raven is here. Switchy's here. Uncle Al is here. And um, we'll be right back after this. Please stay tuned. Eight weeks later, he's ready to absolutely kill this guy because he's got these little hickeys all over his body from the wiffle ball. That's what he said. Okay, wow. Wow. So another story in the annals of the Coast Guard history. He's running around with a wiffle ball bat. Right? Crack, cracking oh. the troops. All right, let me ask let me ask Dr. Bob something uh, real Uh-oh. quick before serious, we get something into something serious, Dr. Right. Bob. Dr. Bob, you're you're familiar with the character Popeye, right? Yes, sir. Uh, what military branch was he in? He was in the Navy. Sorry, Doc. You need to go look that up on the internet. I'm going to give you one opportunity to do some research because you're a sharp guy. This you don't information. Need, it, it doesn't involve a, a phone. Take a look. 1927, <laughs> United States Coast Guard. Stop the name. Coast Guard? Coast Guard. No, no, no. This is not right. This is disinformation. Doc, you are the impartial source. You look on the internet and you tell me if that if my claim is correct. Off here. Now, listen, it's getting a little sad now, as it turns out. Look, everyone knows he's Popeye the Sailor Man. And what are Coast Guardsmen? They're not sailors. Uh, no, they're the Coast Guard guys. I mean, when you say sailor, you say so, U.S. Navy. So a soldier is not a soldier. Let me ask a you this. A Marine is not a Marine. No, let me ask you this. Anytime in the cartoons, what kind of uniform is he wearing? He's wearing the same uniform that he's the wearing, Coast Guard wore. No, he's wearing white. He's always in the white and sailor's the Coast, uniform. And the Coast Guard had that. Oh, just a coincidence. Okay, this just rages and on. If you, and if you look on the earlier... The first cartoons that featured Popeye, okay. he wore the blue, the dark blue top. I'm not. Yeah, I, oh, I'm, yeah, I thought it was more of an olive color. See, see, oh, he's in the eye. Anyway. Well, Doc, <laughs> I don't know any. I don't know color. any sailor yeah. that ever wore we an olive color. Did we start the segment? <laughs> no, we didn't. We no, we didn't. Okay. All right. Too bad. That was good stuff. Right. This is an ongoing I debate. Why haven't hasn't this debate been solved? It's. I presented all the information. He's in the Navy. That's I presented why. all the information, and then Matt goes, "It's not true." Except when Matt goes online and shows something, like when he assigns one of you know one of his assignments, and then it's Burning Bush. Anything, I get it. I, I, I completely understand. Anything this. I've seen on the internet indicates Popeye was in the Navy. I, I even sent you the video clip from YouTube where he says, "Stop in that. the name of the United States Coast Guard." That's, the, the, well, the that could have been fate. 
It could have been faked very easily. Right, well, right after, right song? after the gra- Popeye right Popeye the Sailor Man. See, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Come right? On. Does he say Popeye the Sailor Man? I'm in the U.S. Navy. No, we no, don't he have said, to. No, but he's a Sailor Man. He's a Sailor Man. And, and does he say I'm Popeye the Coast Guard Man? And you're telling me that the Coast Guard? I live in a garbage are, can. See, the Coast Guard right? men are not sailors, can. is what you're saying now. Is that not the word? Yeah, no. I love this because this is the same shit no, I used to think. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Time the frig out. This is the part I really love best. I used to hear this. From the Navy. Oh, uh, puddle pirates. You need to be six feet tall to be I'm in not the coast. The, why, why do you assume and here that I I'm... am. Here I am, the single ship off the coast of no, Antarctica. No, no. There isn't another ship in sight. No yes. Navy ship showing up. Navy airplanes showing <laughs> Come up. On. But now I'm we're not. not sa- no, no. I'm not disparaging the Coast Guard. I love the Coast Guard. But we're not sailors. Got it. Uh, no, absolutely great. No, no but I'm, I'm saying like the, the, you know, if you ask 99 percent of the people you ask are going to say what does sailor mean and means he's in the navy. I don't know what they call coast guardsmen, coast guardsmen. So if you're a merchant seaman, you're not a sailor. If you're, you're a, a soldier, seaman. you're in the army, correct? Right. Okay. All right. Well, when you say to people he's a soldier, where do they assume he is? Right. So what do you say for someone who goes to sea in a military vessel? He's a sailor. He's in. The- if he's in a merchant nope, fleet, he's a sailor. Coast guardsman. Yes. Well, right. uh, it, it, another county heard from uh, someone who well, didn't I, serve in the Coast Guard. Now you're telling me what it is. I, it see. says here, Navy personnel are called sailors. Yes. Those in the Marines are called Marines. The Coast Guard calls its people Coast Guardsmen. Thank you for the clarification. The National Guard uses whatever branch. Of the there you go. What more do you need to know? I think that solves it. I, I am so proud. Obviously, you got the true internet, no, and the, the internet that I showed was the lie. Well, internet. you're in like the dark net. No, or but something. I got the. I got the. You're in the dark you're network. Right. I'm in the regular network. Listen, let's do this. Let's do this. If 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 just, Mac, if, I, just have, I have absolutely had it with this whole discussion no, because no. I took the time to lay it all out. I went and showed you Task and Purpose, which is one of the best military sites, and they came oh, out man. and they gave the complete clarification. Not good enough. No, no, I no, went no and any of that could be completely what? fake. Let me. Why is it not? <laughs> Listen, let me just ask you one thing. Let me, if we prove to you that we're right, let's just, okay? How are you going to prove to me? No, let, let's just, that is to be announced, okay? Will you go to the, um, to the, to the casino, the Boston Casino, right, in Everett? Because, you know, they have a statue of Popeye in the front door, if you can believe this, Dr. They do. Bob. They do. $48 million this thing is worth. $48 million. It's made of jewels. This freaking guy made a statue of Popeye for $48 million. How insane wow. is that? It's a lot of spinach. And you could have given it, 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 given it to, uh, the, the, to Dr. Bob doing the material. It's excellent. So anyways, I think sorry. the issue I'm is sorry. resolved. Yeah, I do too. I consider it's oh. okay. Uh, Coco, you can't win every battle. I, I'm glad you guys think you're right. Okay. God bless you all. You're wrong. You ready? I f***ing okay. I. <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that as a Coast Guardsman, check with club. Club, look that up on your f***ing light web if I'm allowed to say that. I, I. Get nasty now. Oh, I got to cut that Oh, you want to talk sailor? Let's talk like a f***ing sailor there, big guy. Poor loser. Wow. Ooh. Oh, loser. Oh, oh loser. You want to bring that game? Can I start the segment, please?
Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. Very quickly, let me introduce the members of the posse tonight. Girls, no one, one, no Coco, but our national correspondent is with us, Switchblade Steve Ward. Switchy. Great to be here tonight, Mac. Everything's okay with you? It's beyond wonderful. Excellent. Um, also, um, our favorite good witch up there in Sideways Yard, Raven, is with us. Raven. Hello, my friends. Thanks for having me. Uh, also, is uh, UFO mechanic Al Ronaldo. Al. Hello, Mac. Hello, everyone. Hello. And uh, our good friend, Dr. Bob Gross from the Tottenham town of Chicago is with us. Dr. Bob. Hello, everyone. Good to be with you this mm-hmm. evening. Mm-hmm. And joining us from across the puddle. Across the puddle, you can tell he's British because he has three names, okay? Neil <laughs> Gettys Ward. Neil, let's give him a hand, please. We'll sweeten it up. Don't worry. Thank you for the warm welcome. Hello, everybody. And GW. Thanks for having me. Where in England are you? Uh, well, currently, I'm in Weymouth on the south coast. I understand there's a Weymouth in Massachusetts. Yes, there is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, this yeah. is the original Weymouth town. Close to Boston. Wow. Interesting. So uh, you were over there in England. What happened? Did the Queen die or something? What's going on over there? Can you tell us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so we lost the Queen. Uh, I was actually in Scotland when it happened, visiting my family up there. Uh-huh. And so, my son and I took the opportunity to go into Edinburgh town and uh, see the passing of a coffin going through the streets of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. So, I'm really a royal person, really. But I said to my son, "Let's go and partake in a little bit of history." So, we went and saw saw that because mm-hmm. um, I thought it was kind of respectful to do that sort of thing. But as I say, I'm not really a royalist, but uh, right. it seems stupid not to go, put it that way. Right. So the kind of country's in a state of change at the minute. It's all a bit of a fluxy thing going on. Now we've got King Charles coming on board. Yes. Yeah. He's, and he's just so spectacular and just astonishing, amazing human being, isn't he? Yeah, he's been going for years. I mean, everyone's familiar with it. It's not like, you know, he's kind of like wow. been rehearsing this role for years. Well, and now he's just stepped into it. He's pulled, you know, pulled up to the bar title of the thing. What else has he had to do? This is what he's been doing all this time, right? Except dumping one of the most glamorous women in the era on planet, right? But anyway, look. Yeah. Um, so, so, but I, I'll just say one thing. We were talking about this off here is that um, um, that we we couldn't think of anyone else where people would line up for twenty four hours and have a ten mile long waiting line just to go buy her coffin. And and yeah. I know that people over in England, some as you say, royalists, some kind of you know, could could live without it, but. There's no one I can think of. We're thinking maybe Elvis maybe had a long waiting line to, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anyone. I just saw the people on, on the TV lined up and it was like, who's this popular? Uh, you know, there's no one more even close to, I guess, the popularity yeah. of her because so many people just show up. At her. Uh, that's amazing to me. Not even a president or a Babe Ruth or anyone like that, but she got all those people. So there's something going on there. I just can't understand what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Isn't it? I mean, there, there were people passing out apparently. Like mm-hmm. uh, they got these beef eaters, which are these guys in the sort of interesting suits, and yep. they're standing there guarding the coffin. And they, I don't know what their shift is, but some of them, elderly gentlemen, have been seen passing out as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's a long day for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, I saw that on Instagram. They had like just videos of these, and like I mean, they're cold passing out, mm. and mm. like. I couldn't imagine, like, they're hitting their face on, like, the marble Ooh, floor. Wow. And I just looked it up, and it said Elvis's funeral was attended, th- uh, th- I'm sorry, 30,000 fans were let. 30,000 fans. Okay, I think more than 30,000 you know, people. I could pass out. 
I'd like a champ, like an Olympic champ. Would I, you I just, yeah, would you just <laughs> fall, bang, really? Down. So what happened it, to me? That's how I got two fake front teeth. Wait a minute. You passed out at the Queen's funeral? Tell us what happened. At the Queen's funeral, yeah. Really? I was there. and uh, Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, I fell out of my shower and I <laughs> broke my teeth. <laughs> wow. Okay. You don't have a video of that, do you? I, I got a shower story, but, but that'll be for later. Okay. Good. Thank you, Switch. Back after dark. Okay. okay. Super. Uh, so Neil, so um, uh, what do you? Um, England is a very strange place. It's it's a very kind of haunted place. I think it's because, well. I'll ask you why there is there so much uh, you know kind of paranormal activity and so on that seems to happen in the UK. Is it because it has such a long history or something? It's been you know. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's lots and lots of history with Europe, really, because it all goes right back through the medieval times. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's. Uh, I could tell you a few ghost stories if you want, but I don't know how far in you want me to go. But cool. it's a very, very haunted place in some places. You know, there's some very old medieval towns with ghost stories associated with it. Um, yeah, very, very. I think there's lots of ghost hunting clubs mm-hmm. around that like to go investigate castles and prisons and, uh, you know, graveyards, that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of history here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then and, and where do you come in? Where did the, you know, the fairies and things like of that nature right, come into this? Yeah. yeah, well, I'm an artist predominantly. So I, I got involved in researching for a book called Fairycraft uh, back in 2004. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we kind of looked into the whole fairy realm and I was doing the illustrations and, and we discovered some really interesting stories. There was um, there's a Canadian filmmaker by the name of John Walker. Um, and he went and made a film. You can actually find it on YouTube, I believe. It's called The Fairy Faith. He had some very, very interesting stories there that... Uh, we researched into one was a guy that was on holiday in Ireland. Uh, a, a, um, I think he was a Glaswegian guy actually, but he was on holiday in Ireland. And he was like a, a construction worker or something. And he was uh, around this hill called Fairy Four. And um, he heard this really strange, eerie music and he couldn't quite place where it was coming from. And he thought, where, where's that music coming from? But at the same time, he was all struck by the view of Ireland as it was there before him. It just mm. rained and mm. the sun was coming through the clouds and a rainbow was forming over the valley. Mm. And all the while he was looking at this view unfolding, apparently, there was kind of like something in his peripheral vision down by his feet, but he didn't want to take his eyes off the rainbow valley. He thought it was just too beautiful not to miss. Okay. But all the time, something was bugging him and he decided at the end, he thought, what is that? And he looked down at his feet and he said he saw this small woman about a foot high brown leathery looking skin a brown kind of hat and this is where it gets really weird he said that she appeared to have an old style pair of sheep shears and was cutting round the sole of his shoe Hmm. and he said where his shadow extended there was the male equivalent of this woman um and this is where it gets really strange rolling up this guy's shadow like paper rolling it up like paper and he just looked down at both of them and said oi as if to say, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yes. And they looked at each other as if to say, we've been spotted. And they went Psh, and just vanished. Mm. And this guy said, what the hell was going on there? And he thought, what happened if I didn't see them? What would have happened to me? But I mean, rolling your shadow up like That's paper, crazy. that defies physics. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so were these people, um, you know, leprechauns or what, what, what was going on? Well, I, I looked into that. They, from the description the guy gave, I've heard of something called brownies. Uh, hmm. And certainly they had a brown leathery looking skin he described them as. And, and there's like tales of brownies, which appear to be part of this kind of fairy kingdom. Mm-hmm. But they're more kind of like a, of the earth gnome kind of variety rather than your Tinkerbell type of fairies. But yes. uh, I don't think they were the good ones, put it that way. Okay. Hmm. So, so, so um, where do you think they came from? 
Where do you think they come from? Well, the, the place was known locally as Fairy Hill or Fairy Fort. And so there's lots of legends associated with hills and things uh, around Ireland and Scotland. And there seems to be lots of associations of fairy legends around them. Mm-hmm. So fairies are kind of thought to maybe exist between maybe this world and the next, where mm-hmm. maybe we go on to after we pass over. Okay. And they're kind of like in a, a spectrum of, of activity that we haven't quite kind of tuned into yet. Mm-hmm. But they seem to be more Earth-based than spiritual-based. So that's why some people, I think, can often see them mm-hmm. and they seem to see us more than we see them that's the interesting thing as well i mean these things these stories have been around at, at least in ireland for literally hundreds and hundreds of years so people must be seeing something you know for them to just to, to, yeah. to even the germ of the story so do they disappear when when he said oi did they disappear or did they yeah. run away yeah they, they just seem to vanish mm-hmm. uh, I, I say in a puff of smoke but they seem to vanish in front of him as soon as he said oi because he said they had a look of surprise on their eyes mm-hmm. as if they said oh my god he can see us mm-hmm. so they quickly cloaked or whatever <laughs> may have happened right and vanished right um, right wow yeah quite spooky though yeah i'll say for sure so what uh, you uh, have go ahead please uh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to jump in oh, please. no i think Fairies are often given that, like, you know, super whimsical, like, Disney princess vibe. And I'm thinking of, like, a movie I watched a few years ago called The Hollow that was based in Ireland. And it scared me. Mm. And I'm like, I love horror movies. Like, I don't get I don't get rocked. But there is a part that I am thinking of in my head. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want to spoil anything. But I probably won't sleep tonight because of that. Please share. Share with us. Share with. Share it. Please. (laughs) Well, if anyone doesn't want to listen to spoilers, then Plug skip ahead. But okay, go. There's a part where this it's about like this young couple and like their baby, and they move into this house, and everyone tells them, "Don't move in here because of the fairies." Mm-hmm. And so, blah 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 blah. They move in, of course, because it's a horror movie. So there's this part where this fairy has like, it's like putting a splinter in this guy's eye, oh. and he can't close his eye because oh. it's like keeping it open, mm. and all you see is this piece of wood go in, and it's horrific, and I like, I will <laughs> I will never, it, it's a really good movie. Oh, I'll gl- never get that out of my head, though. I'm glad I, I asked you. you guys know about it. I'm glad I asked you for that. Thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> I, I have a, a small thing to interject. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was fascinated by this subject, uh, wrote a book called The World of the Fairies, and in there, he said something to the effect that the the appearance of the fairies is partially determined by the observer, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit like John Keel and uh, and Jacques Vallée and so forth. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, that was just my uh, little uh, two cents. Now, who's the guy who um, who I think it was Houdini or someone like Houdini was fascinated with stuff, you know, trying to find proof of things other than this world and i think that he bought some photograph that's you know for uh, that was doyle he the, the, oh, is that the right Cotting, yeah. Cottingsville fairies yeah is like that right cottonly fairies oh okay. yeah. that's right yeah and there were photographs that looked like i mean you know excuse the expression but kind of tinkerbell looking kind of fairies what you would think fairies are but but someone laid out a lot of dough for this photograph and at least back then they seemed to think that it was real am i is it real has it been proved unreal Un. Has it been proof fake? It came, it came from a uh, a, a book. Uh, 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 Neil probably knows. Mm-hmm. Um, Go ahead, Neil. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I can carry on, but yeah, it was uh, basically published these pictures by these two, two I think they're Edwardian ladies at the time, young girls, uh, Emily, I think, I can't remember the names, yeah. and they were like 10 and 15, I think they were cousins in Yorkshire, hmm. right. and they had borrowed their dad's camera, uh, they claimed that there was fairies down the bottom of the garden, literally, or in the brook near the house, and they were 
borrowed their dad's camera and went out and, and, and photographed these fairies. And when their, their father developed the film and, and printed it on, he could see these, these beings in there. Mm. Um, but it was many, many years. I mean, I remember hearing about this case back in the 70s uh, on, on a kind of program we had here at the time, being fascinated by it. But I think it was James Randi, the uh, magician, mm. yes. skeptic guy, who had uh, kind of looked into it. And he, he pointed out, and quite fairly to him, you know, uh, he, he pointed out that the the water, this brook that was behind them in the shots, was blurred because they did a long exposure on the camera. Mm-hmm. But he said, if you've got these fairies and they're in the picture there, beating their wings, uh, you know, they would be blurred too. But in fact, they were dead straight. And I remember seeing at the time that the fairies looked to me like they were drawings or paintings or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that they had cut these drawings out of magazines and stuck them on card and then on, on hat pins, I believe, and then stuck them in the ground. And they just posed with them. Um, but the, the, the ladies, wow. as they grew older, one died and then the other one sort of let slip that, yeah, the whole thing was fake Scare. apart. She claimed that one photograph was genuine, Pocket but she didn't say which one. Wow, huh? And I think she, didn't she say that they, uh, they actually had seen fairies, but, but they went ahead and faked the pictures faked anyway. Faked it anyway, yeah, hmm. sure. Hey, Dr. Bob, can I That's ask you this? Right. yeah. Dr. Bob, you're kind of a physics guy, so how can you explain stuff like this other than you know, people. All, as I said, the especially in Ireland and England, people have been seeing stuff like this and all kinds of strange stuff for for hundreds and hundreds of years. They all can't be making it up. They all can't be hallucinating. So, you know, what's going on in your opinion? Well, from my aspect with the research I've done, especially with sound and, and light waves, there are some people that hear things and see things that the average and normal human being doesn't see. And their, yeah. their uh, eyes, their ears, and their brains are running differently, and they can see things that uh, other people can't see. Now, I've, I've never seen a, a fairy, so to speak, but I have uh, photographed, had, uh, I guess you would call it proof of type of a, a shadow person. Mm-hmm. That, and it may have been, uh, I was experimenting with a technique called the extended bulb technique with a 35 millimeter camera Okay. <laughs> with a team of scientists I used to work with out of Indianapolis, Indiana Okay. in a, uh, an asylum where there were a lot of uh, what they would call shadow people that had been seen before. Mm-hmm. And I did pick something up on my camera. Uh, it was something that I took inside of an old jail cell mm. in, in this asylum mm. that, uh, I took it to three or four experts and it, what it looked like when I, when I developed it was a, uh, if you can imagine a soccer ball, mm-hmm. but the soccer ball was made out of, it looked like cotton candy, but it was black. Mm. It was black cotton candy. And it was, you know, it was in the right in the middle of this, this uh, jail cell mm-hmm. where I had set up the experiment. And I, I think I took the experiment around, Oh, probably two, three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I took it to several experts and mm-hmm. there was this, uh, now I never saw it. I mean, I was standing there photographing, right. it was pitch dark, but when we got the film back, there was this uh, ball of like cotton candy and it looked like it was manifesting out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Wow. Shadow people and, uh, are around. I didn't see it, but there, it, you know, the, film. the camera was okay. The film was okay. 
Uh, and everything else was okay. No one could explain what it was. Uh, shadow people are these um, phenomena. You see them a lot in the St. Louis Valley out in Colorado. Um, a lot of these things are reported there and other places where you might be in a room, no one's in there with you, but you can see a shadow of somebody, you know, against the wall or whatever. And, um, yeah, they're kind of they're creepy. But do you think that there is – I mean, I'm, I'm coming now to kind of believe that we kind of rub up against like maybe some other kind of reality or universe or something like that. And for some reason, these things, you know, drain, what's the word? You know, they, they kind of overflow or something into us. And maybe we overflow into theirs or something. Maybe the separation between these two realities isn't as, isn't as strong or, you know, as unbreakable as we think. Because that would explain a lot of the stuff that's going on. You know, not just UFOs, but monsters and everything. All of a sudden, they just show up. Then they're not there anymore, you know. The ghost flies. Well, according to, to fairy lore, the, the fairies can change their appearance. They can become taller and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Catherine Briggs covers a, a lot of that. Also, when you mentioned shadow people, the great researcher who is no longer with us, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, did a lot of research into shadow people, and she discovered that a, a significant percentage of people that had those experiences were also experiencing classic alien abduction phenomena, whatever that actually mm. is. Really? So yeah. all these things just seem to uh, flow together sometimes. And the uh, and the appearances of these entities or elementals, we, we may not... Uh, we may not be able to count on what we're seeing to be the actual objective manifestation of what they are. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's really weird. But I mean, just once again, all these different things. We talk about the uh, unified field theory, the paranormal. If the if UFOs and Bigfoot and Loch Ness and you know fairies and leprechauns, if it was all part of the same thing, and there was just this kind of overlapping or whatever you want to call it. It would explain all of this stuff just in one explanation, which would be kind of cool. So, Neil, so you've written a book lately? Uh, Well, I'm currently writing a book at the minute called Encounters with Fairies, Ghosts and Spirits. Uh, It's actually kind of built up from lots of uh, interesting research that I've gathered over the last sort of 15 years. And um, when I do presentations, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I actually started off as an artist going out there showing my artwork. And to get a free uh, booth or pitch or stall or whatever you call it, I would say, look, I'll I'll do a talk on fairies and spirits and things like that. And I'd get a free pitch. Mm -hmm. And uh, people would come up inevitably and tell me their personal stories. Yes. I mean, I even met one guy on a plane once. I was actually flying back to, well, I was flying to Spain on holiday with my family. And one of the last guys to get on the plane was, I thought he was a Spaniard heading back to Spain. But when we got chatting, it turned out he said, I'm from Iran. He says, what, you know, I prefer to call it Persia, but you would know it as Iran. Okay. And uh, he said, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, I do artwork and I've done this fairy book and I showed him a few drawings of fairies and things like that. And I started talking about strange stuff. And, um, he, I told him the story that I told at the beginning with the guy with the shadow and the mm-hmm. cutting away of the, the the shadow from the foot with the fairies, the brownies. And uh, he said, well, when I was conscripted into the army in Iran, mm-hmm. and I would put this around somewhere about 1980, okay. he said that he was patrolling the streets of Iran late at night with an army buddy. And he said a, sand, a sandstorm kicked up in that area. And he said they sought shelter. So they went into a mosque. Mm-hmm. just to kind of you know ride out the storm as it were yep. and he said they took their shoes off which is a custom in mosques and they took their shoes off and he said to his army buddy you go to sleep against the wall and i'll sit here next to you and i'll keep an eye out for any trouble okay. and he had his gun with him yes and this guy i'll call him hussein he said that his buddy fell asleep and no matter how hard he tried hussein kept drifting off to sleep and he kept saying oh i must stay awake i must stay awake and he kept waking up and then he drifted back off to sleep yes. again and this happened three times and he said on the third time he awoke 
and he suddenly saw this woman crouching down looking at his feet and next to the woman was a girl he thought was about 11 or 12 years of age looking at his friend's feet and they were looking like really intently at their feet thinking what's what's with these feet kind of thing and he thought where did this woman come from he said he tried to wake his friend up um discreetly by pressing his elbow on his chest and he said his friend wouldn't wake up so this guy hussein he said he started to wrap the strap of the gun around his arm so the gun wouldn't swing as he ran away i mean this is the guy with the gun for god's sake that he was going to do the running yes (laughs) so he said as he wrapped the strap of the gun around his arm he said that it must have caught the eye of this woman because she suddenly looked up and stared him straight in the eye. And he said, as soon as she stared me in the eye, I made eye contact with her. And he said, I knew that she was not from this world. Something just told me that she was not from this world. He said, at that point, the woman stood up and the girl stood up and they turned and walked away. And as they walked away, he noticed they both had cloven hooved feet and they vanished into the wall of the mosque oh, cloven hoof feet wow we were they gin? yeah wow <laughs> well maybe gin but i was thinking like no, you get the legends of pan with the cloven right. yeah, feet, yeah. and uh maybe that's where these legends are coming from you know we're <laughs> interbleeding into our reality it's mm-hmm. interesting it's in a mosque a religious place as well so maybe like the prayer power of prayer builds up kind of energies or portals or something like that mm-hmm. i mean it yeah. reminds me i'll tell you another story connected with a religious building but this time a christian church i used to work at a broadcasting place in london and uh, there was a security guard there and he was uh, fr- originally from um uh barbados area mm-hmm. and um his name was Owen. And um, one time I caught him in the staff canteen. It was an, an evening shift, so it was late in the evening. And he was talking to this girl and he just said to her, she was white as that fridge freezer. And I overheard the conversation. So I said, what? who was white as the fridge freezer? And he said, this woman I saw sitting on the church roof. And I said, what? You saw a woman sitting on a church roof? I said, what's a woman sitting on the church roof for? And he said, well, he says, I don't believe in ghosts and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. I said, well, tell me more then. And he said, well, when I lived in Barbados, he was in a bar one night with his friend and they decided that that they'd had enough. They're walking home and they walked through the typical road that they'd always do. And it went up past this churchyard. But on this particular evening, as they came around the churchyard, they said they saw this woman sitting on the church roof. Mm. And Mm. I laughed and I said, what's a woman doing sitting on the church roof? And he said, this was no ordinary woman. This woman was at least 50 foot tall. And I went, what? And he says, yeah, she had white long hair, white face, long white kind of gown or dress or robe on. And she appeared to be sitting on the church roof like some person might sit on a doll's house with their feet over either side of it. Mm. And um, uh, I said, well, then what happened? And his friend that was with him saw this as well. So it wasn't just the guy hallucinating. He said his friend hid behind a gravestone in great fear. Mm. And Owen, my friend, said, you can see this too? And he said, yeah, yeah, I can see it. So Owen, being the braver of the two, he said he picked up a rock and he threw it as hard as he could Mm. at this 50-foot-tall woman, which I wouldn't advise, ladies and gentlemen. And and he said at that point, she stood up, stepped off the church and started to walk towards them. And I said, well, then what happened? He said that she shrunk down in size to the size of a normal person Mm -hmm. and then just dissipated and vanished into the ground. Mm. And that was that. But he said, I don't believe in ghosts and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. Mm -hmm. He was like in denial about it. But again, it involved a church, you know. Interesting. Attack of a 50-foot woman. My apologies. Is, is that a giant? I mean, we, we always hear about, you know, you know, the myths and fables from way back when. We hear about dragons and little people and stuff, but giants are also kind of big. 
you know, in their horizon back mm-hmm. then. Is this the case of something like that? Maybe giant this or something? But, but yeah. sometimes they're it's like not- phantasms. You okay. know, they're like, they're, they're something you get sometimes these sort of one off apparitions or whatever mm-hmm. other ones are kind of similar and you see patterns but i, I don't know you i don't know of any other report of a 50-foot woman sitting on any kind of a dwelling yeah really yeah. holy cow is this a case where we're just talking about that there are some people who are kind of predisposed to see things and some i, well, I mean i've I never seen a anything. seriously religious person right, right. i don't I think religion has to yeah, maybe yeah. but Dr. Bob, what do you think? I mean, uh, I, I'm one of the people who will never see anything anytime of, ever. That's I hope. me. Well, I, I've I've seen, for example, myself. I had more experience with uh, what you might call poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. But when I was wor- uh, doing my doctoral work at Penn State, I was working with a group of scientists who were uh, working on like the space shuttle type of experiments because the space shuttle. Uh, its booster rocket was putting out such a large sound from it mm-hmm. that it, it would have shaken the organs of the astronauts apart. Mm. So they were trying to figure out, this was like 1979, 1980 okay. or so. Yep. They were trying to figure out how to dampen that sound. Yes. But they were also working on another experiment where they took it into this, uh, this chamber. I forget it was a, a soundproof chamber. And, and these people were doing, these scientists were doing experiments on people to see how their range of hearing worked. Okay. Yeah. And they were getting a, well, we were talking amongst ourselves. We didn't you know we didn't publish this or anything, but they were getting a significant amount of people that they were testing that were hearing above and beyond uh, frequencies that the human ear should be hearing. Wow. Man. And so hmm. they, they were coming to the conclusion that at one point in uh, history, human beings may have had an, another type of communication system built in, kind of like dolphins and porpoises do <laughs> and things like that and bats do in the animal world. Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's definitely, in my research, people that can hear things and see things that other people can't right, and yes. feel and sense them as well. Interesting. Yeah, wow. Hey, listen, we're going to take a commercial break now. Uh, Neil, can you hang around with us for a while? You got anything Absolutely. to do? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. no problem. Okay, why don't we do this? To, we'll take this break now, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed, the Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Hong's Hat, and the very mysterious M Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with a forward by the very famous Juan Juan. On sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. I'm going to go off that topic just a touch. Okay. Now, there has been for many years the biggest uh, Porsche swap meet in the world happens in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Go ahead. And it happens in the parking lot of Hershey Park. Yes. And it's early. It's like in April. Yes. So it, it happens way before the park is really open and crazy. 
Uh, so for years, they've scheduled a certain week every year, and then um, <laughs> it, it turned that it, it ended up being on a like a holiday, okay, like Easter. Yes. Or, you know, so a lot of the people were complaining they couldn't go to Hershey to do the swap meet. Okay. Because it was falling on a holiday, they had to be home with their family. Yes. So they tried getting Hershey Park to give them the week before. Okay. Yes. And what they found out was that there was a group of people that rent that area, that parking, those parking lots. Okay. And this is big. We're talking thousands of people. I know where this is going. Go ahead. These, the people that rent it the week before yep. at Hershey are a group of people who buy those life-size yes. Latex dolls. Oh yeah. Oh and wow. they bring them on vacation with them. Now we're hang on. Okay. It's a cheap date. They <laughs> they no, these things are four grand. Oh, I see. Or okay. better. Yes. These right. are thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, these are expensive. I know exactly. They're very lifelike. How would you know? No, no. <laughs> of all of us, why would you know? <laughs> right. So anyway, they uh, these guys bring them to the hotels around the area and they Put them in bikinis and bring them out to the bath uh, to the uh, swimming pool, and they dress them to take them to dinner. No, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that they go yeah, out to dinner with the with yeah. the, with, yeah, with, with, with the dolls. They take them to the pool and hang out with them, and they and they sit them together. You know, the women dolls in a pool <laughs> in bikinis and stuff. Stop, stop, stop. No, I'm serious. But how could how Mac? Could... You you're kidding. You've never heard of this. They have guys bringing rubber dolls to pools at the dinner. You know, I had no idea this even was a thing. But apparently, there's thousands of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a big deal, you know, and they show them off and they buy But the, don't you think it's a little odd to walk into a restaurant with, oh, a, with an inanimate object? With I big... think it's insanity, but... Yeah, okay. All right, to but each his own. They're, they're okay. All, now, um, they're also... Do they talk? I don't think they talk, but they do a lot of other things. They do they really? Uh, okay. <laughs> Imagine if there was a super secret satellite in outer space that could read your thoughts and alter your reality. Imagine if the U.S. government had no knowledge that this satellite even existed. Now imagine if such a powerful weapon fell into the wrong hands. In the latest adventure of Mac Maloney's best-selling detective series, codenamed Starman, Lieutenant Chris Starr of the Navy's X-Files team is given his strangest case yet, track down the ghost of a rogue Navy SEAL who holds the secret to the God Satellite. Once again, teamed with beautiful Irish detective Mara McCann, Starr finds himself looking for clues from the streets of Rome to a mysterious snow-covered mountain in Arizona to Africa's forbidding skeleton coast, and finally, in outer space itself. But it's only when he realizes a secret vision in the desert points right back to where the case started does Starr finally learn what the God Satellite is really about. That's The God Satellite, codenamed Starman, book number three by Mac Maloney, on sale on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. And listen to Mac's show to learn how you can win a free copy. Welcome back, everyone. Mac Maloney's Military Now Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. Sorry, girls. No Juan Juan. Sorry, Gilfs, Milfs, and Gigi Gilfs. No Coco, but uh, national correspondent Switchblade Steve is with us. Steve Reno, how are you doing? Uh, just fine, and, and apparently we're doing just well without those other guys. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Meow. <laughs> meow. 
Switch they never Ooh. listen to the show anyway, right? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you speak. I don't know. He's I can't speak for them. Tea. You ain't. Uh, also with us is our uh, favorite good witch up there in Sideways New York. Raven is with us. Raven. Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for having me. No bun night if you're keeping school. What, what's the drink du jour tonight? Can you share? Uh, it's Genesee Kolsch um, <laughs> oh, because again, I stocked up before they stopped selling it over the summer. Really, so yeah. I, I am set mm. probably until uh, maybe November. Oh, good. 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 That's good. That's a and long then I'm all out. out. Uh, who's that guy in back here there, the guy who's been on a diet recently? Where'd oh, you get him? That's, that's Mr. Bones. That's <laughs> Mr. My, Bones? my good friend, Mr. Bones. Okay. He's got a, a little miniature sombrero on. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. My, and... my good friend. He uh, doesn't like the warmer months. He only comes out in winter, you know, hot, spooky season winter. Really? Yeah. Okay. I used to know some name, Mr. Bone, but that's another, some other, another show. Oh. Hang on. Look. <laughs> also with us is uh, UFO mechanic, Al Renato. Al. Hey, Mac. How are you doing? In a house full uh, of stone cats. Are you able to uh, tease uh, Commander Cobra, since he's not here? Sure. About his, uh, his pet Zeppelin? <laughs> I love Zeppelin. Oh, Zeppelin's so cute. Yeah, wait, Zeppelin is a pig for those he's of a you pig. Yeah, if you don't, if you, have so you don't know, he is a pig, and he is the cutest thing. Yeah. A Razorback pig, is that right? He's some. He's it, let me let a me. House pig. Yeah, he's fairly well. You know, small. He's like eighty pounds. I think he said okay. last time I talked. Just to cute and cuddly. Cute and cuddly. Yeah. Uh, talk to me after next Easter, okay? Because I got a feeling he's going to write the middle of the table. Oh, a lot of pineapple. Oh around. man! Hey, something about oh. that. It's a good thing he doesn't listen to this anyway. show. Yeah. Also I, with I, us, I've mentioned uh, some jokes about. Uh, Ham and bacon thing. Yes, and, right. Yeah, I remember that. Didn't go over too well. It, it didn't go over real well, so right. I kind of backed off. Yeah, okay. So. All right, good advice, probably. Uh, yeah, they probably don't eat bacon in front of the pig either. I oh. would imagine. Oh, that would be poor taste. Probably have to go, uh, go to a and restaurant. Mrs. Cobra, they they don't eat any pork products. Oh, really? And yeah. I I don't eat any meat. For the record. Wow. Well, I know they don't, they don't eat anything on the farm. I know that they have all these animals, mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. don't eat any of them. They're all pets. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, anyway. I mean, that one goat that's a wicked lush. <laughs> you go near that goat Aren't they all? <laughs> on you. Yeah, yeah. And you, I mean, if you don't give him the beer, he's, he gets all, all twisted up he about it. He gets a little, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dr. He's Bob. bag goat. <laughs> Dr. Bob Cross. That's really funny. Out there in Chicago. How are you doing, Dr. Bob? Pretty good. Pretty good. Mm -hmm. Pretty busy. Pretty yes. good. Good, good. That's good to hear. Okay. Do you still play your saxophone or what do you. No, I don't. I have uh, traded in my saxophone for uh, an electronic wind instrument a few years ago. Then yep. that got too technical for me. So I really don't do any of that type of thing anymore. Yeah. Do you have a keyboard? Uh, I used to, but I again, I don't have any uh, musical instruments wow. right now. Yep. Best I've been moving around quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, also with us is our uh, good friend, Neil Geddes Ward over there in England, across the puddle in Weymouth, England. Is that right, Neil? That's right, indeed. Yeah, thank you for having me. Are you right on the coast? Can you see the water and so on? Yeah, yeah. On a good day, I can look out the bedroom window and look across to the Isle of Portland. Uh, sometimes it's fogged over, but on a good summer's day, you can see it nice and clear. Mm -hmm. And how far are you from London, let's say? Uh, well, in terms of driving, I would say about two and a half to three hours drive time. Yeah, yeah to okay. London. You ever go there? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the time. I actually do a lot of work in London. I've worked for a few broadcasting companies up there. So I've been working for an Iranian channel uh, and I'm starting a new position next week working for um, a streaming company. I won't mention their name, but Why not? Uh, but yeah, based in the same area. Okay. And what, what do you do? What is your uh, expertise working for these people? My expertise? Yeah, I guess uh, a lot of people assume that I work for the BBC, but I've never worked for the BBC. But I, I do video video. Uh, kind of base work, TV work, broadcasting, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of lends its skills because I do my own show on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. So I do a lot of editing of our own shows. Of you see? So it's uh, yep. home to home, really. Yep. Yep. Wow. Huh. And um, do you ever wa- have you ever been to America? Have you ever been to the US? Yeah. Yeah. The first time I went to America, I was uh, about 21 years old, and that was back in 1987. I actually okay. went to Boston. Would you believe it? Went to Boston. That's where uh, we are. Where are the chances? Oh, a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> went to New York. I, yes. I remember seeing two guys in Boston having a fight on the street, and I thought, wow, this is this <laughs> is a big time here. You know? We are in Boston. <laughs> it is Boston. I think it was, it was uh, Mac and one one, right? No, no. It was a, <laughs> it was a slow <laughs> night, probably, in Boston. But, yeah, wow. Well, you got the right flavor of it. That's cool. So what do you think of TV over here, the news and the weather and stuff? Because I see clips every once in a while on YouTube, and the and the whole British thing is kind of getting like silly, as silly as the American network news, would you say? Well, yeah, I must admit, when I was uh, over there in 87, I remember, because you know, I was a fan of Star Trek, and I knew that Star Trek The Next Generation was coming out, and mm-hmm. I was trying to video record on someone's video record of their Star Trek, and I was just really annoyed about the amount of commercials that would come in and yes. out of the program. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, more commercials, you know. I'm going to have to edit these out or something yep. like that. And yep. it's uh, over in the UK, we have like regulations about how much commercials you could put in any one hour. They call it a commercial hour. So I think it's up to 12 minutes of commercials. Well, I don't know what it's like in the States for their regulations for that, but we have like a broadcasting thing that oversees all that kind of thing. Wow. That so, would never, uh, I don't know how that would go over here in the U.S., but you see 12 minutes worth of something, then the other 48 is commercials. There are some cable channels that play like old, you know, old sitcoms and stuff. There's got to be 12 minutes of commercials in a half hour easily. They just keep wow. on coming. Even wow. more than that, you know, back it, in the old more. days. Yeah. If you look at the old shows, if you get like the DVDs, uh, there was only about eight or nine minutes of commercials for the hour. Okay, and now yeah. the, there's maybe 40 minutes or 42 minutes of mm-hmm. a show and the rest are commercials for an hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, We we have a, some type of a, a system over here to regulate that. I, offhand, I don't remember what it's called. But if you take like a show, like a perfect example would be like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yep. That's a 30 minute show. If you get that on like the DVD, it comes out to like now it's probably around 20 minutes Yeah, for, if you're including the commercials. It's it's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Well, they need the money to put them on. So, uh, you know what <laughs> makes me crazy is they, when they're playing a movie, the as they get three quarters of the way through the movie, the number of, of commercials yes. and the length of them increases. It will accelerate, yes. Look, oh, they know you're stay. not going to turn it off now because you've already invested <clears throat> right. 40 minutes into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some of these channels, as soon as you're halfway through whatever you're watching, you're stuck. they really start jamming the commercials on you, and you start getting more commercial than actual it's, show. It's, it ruins. I mean, it ruins movies like The Godfather. Once I saw The Godfather on, t- you know, every time I see on, I said I got to watch this now. And it was on a commercial station. And it's like you can't do it. Can't watch it. You need that flow. But anyway, this one going back to uh, uh, Doctor Bob. Well, before I go to you, Doctor Bob, we're going to talk about the Artemis and the in in a. Missions that happened before the Artemis uh, Moonrock. But I have to go to Switchy because we have to get back to the foundation of the show. Now, Switch. 
everyone's been writing to me what's going on with Switch, and they also want to know what you've been having for breakfast lately. So can you tell us what you've had? What did you have this morning? And hopefully it's donut-based. This morning, I actually, uh, you know, being a a, uh, a retired gentleman and man of leisure, right. I don't always, doesn't always register that it's Tuesday, which is Mac Maloney Day, wow, right? Huh. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I try to have something at least a little more creative or exotic for breakfast. But I'm afraid today, uh, all I had were two uh, blueberry Pop-Tarts oh. with frosting and hot black coffee. Oh, boy. Well, one one would be proud of you. But those things aren't uh, very nutritionally sound, though. You know that, one, you know that, Switchy? Uh, and that's what I understand. Okay. All right. What you have for lunch? Anything Richie, sexy for lunch? I'm telling you, you got to get uh, the organic ones. Get the, were they oh, organic pop tots by any chance? I, I cooked up uh, three sausage patties and ate those. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, <laughs> it's even healthier. Cool. Okay. That's perfect. Wow. <laughs> so, anyway, so uh, Dr. Bob, you had, uh, we had talked about this before uh, a little while ago, but now that this Artemis uh, moon rocket thing is happening, uh, we wanted to just talk about it uh, again, and um, Neil, I hope you're interested in this. But um, oh yeah, yeah. So so basically, yeah, what great. what's going on is sometime with you know, the the launch date has been scrubbed a couple times, but they hope they're going to launch this rocket sometime in October. Right. And this is the largest rocket that has ever been made. Okay, it's just this gigantic rocket that is going to be used to basically launch this capsule. Uh, to the moon, and it's going to orbit the moon. It's going to go way out beyond the moon and come back and do all these kind of experiments to see what the effect on the on the mechanics of this thing is, and also the humans that will one day ride it to the moon, land, uh, come back, and basically make a base on the moon that would be a stepping stone to Mars. Um, do I have that right, Doctor Bob? Yes. But you were involved in something years ago that had something to do with Native Americans that has a, a connection to this, right? Or do I have that right? Yes, you do. And this is why I see this so exciting right now, what's happening. To me, this is probably one of the most exciting things that I've ever experienced related to this. And I can, since you have a couple of new guests, I can give a little bit of background if you'd be on mine. Please okay. go ahead. Tell us. So, um, uh, I started say about a month, month and a half ago, I started hearing about the Artemis program and that they were going to launch this huge, the largest missile that they've ever launched. They had a payload on it. And it, the one they were going to launch, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, it was going to be crewless. And so I started to research that. And I found out that what the new Artemis program is, was actually regenerated programs that I used to work with when I was working with NASA. Now, I didn't, I worked with NASA, I didn't work for NASA. From 19, or 2005 to 2007, I was uh, working for the Department of the Interior. And the Department of the Interior in 2006, I get a call from David Axelrod. They asked me to attend a special summit meeting at the uh, Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. And at that time, I was working on the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico, and I was turning around the educational system on the Navajo Reservation. That was what my job was. But I got directed to attend the summit meeting 
in Houston, Texas. And I had no idea why I was being called to attend this meeting. So basically, uh, I had to pick out my best and brightest Navajo teachers. We flew down to Houston, Texas. And when we got there, again, none of us knew anything about this. We just knew we had to be there. When I got there, the hotel we went into, there were all members of different tribes. I was representing the Navajo tribe. And that's about, I think today there's about 300,000 members of the Navajo tribe. And we went into the uh, Johnson Space Center. They took us in a bus. We were all staying at the same hotel. They drove us out to the Johnson Space Center. And we had a special, I think it was a three-day summit meeting with scientists and engineers and astronauts from NASA. And the bottom line is to make a long story short, they wanted to, all of us were representing different tribes in the United States. Mm -hmm. I was representing the Navajo tribe. Other people like uh, were like the Apache tribe. There were several different tribes there. Okay. And the bottom line was NASA. Now, this was 2006, and they had a program called the ARES program. Mm -hmm. And ARES stood for Astro Materials Research and Exploration Science. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that ARES program, their plan was, and this is 2006, they were planning to go from, NASA was planning to go from the Earth to the moon. Then they were going to go from the moon to Mars. Right. Yep. And when they got to Mars, back then they were planning to excavate Mars. They were going to mine Mars. Yes. And that was the whole story. Yes. And what they they were telling us, and again, I'm cutting this very short, that when the astronauts, when NASA's astronauts got to Mars eventually, they were expecting these astronauts to run into things that they were not going to be able to handle psychologically when they got to Mars. And that's why they wanted to bring in people like the Native Americans into the astronaut program because they wanted people who thought differently about things and how to solve problems differently. Because they knew back in 2006, our astronauts who were mostly educated in the Western culture schools were not going to be able to handle that stuff. Yep. Like, uh, like what kind of stuff? Just like stuff that would come up out of the blue, some kind of I don't well, know. Well, they wouldn't tell tell us back then. Okay, mm-hmm. went, I I actually had a corner one of the scientists in a bus before he would tell me, give me one example of what they had found already on Mars. Okay, and, and what that was, should I just tell you quickly about that one? Sure. Uh, what that was that they had found somehow, uh, they had found that there was a natural, a type of natural gas on the planet Mars. Mm-hmm. And, and when they got the gas out of the, the soil or whatever you call that on yep. Mars, it was an extremely volatile mm. type of gas. Okay. And I said, well, how volatile was it? Because, you know, every, we were all surprised. We had no idea why we're, we were there. Either. So volatile. And uh, th- so they, so this one scientist said to me, NASA scientist said, well, he'll give me an example. He said, if you took a space shuttle, and if you've seen our space shuttle, yep. you know what size they are. He yep. said, if you took a, a cargo area from a space shuttle and you took the gas out of, out of Mars and you filled that just that cargo area up 
with this gas, that gas is so powerful that it would have enough energy, just that amount of gas Mm -hmm. could keep New York City's lights lit brightly for a year and a half. Oh, boy. (laughs) So, So they said that they needed to have people problem solving to figure out how to, you know, get that gas yep. out of the ground and then put it into a space shuttle and get it down to earth. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was just one, one thing they found out. Yeah. Now, right. Yeah. 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 In the meantime, I found out, you know, a couple of other things and something, you know, just recently that, you know, Mars has going for it that people on earth psychologically aren't going to be able to handle. What is it? And one of them, like so, so the gas was one thing. The, the other thing was they found out just recently how how sound this. travels on Mars. You talked about it on the show how it's kind of delayed and stuff, right? You right. Won't get to hear a song the, the same way. On Earth, the uh, sound travels like at one speed, no matter what frequency it is, whether high or low. Mm-hmm. On Mars, the high frequencies travel faster than the low frequencies. Mm. So that if you're trying to hear a band play, let's say outside on Mars. You're going to hear the the trumpets and the clarinets first, and then a little bit later in the same song, you're going to hear the tubas and the trombones. So, so why is that? Is it because it's a thin atmosphere? It's the type of atmosphere, and and I think the amount of carbon that's in in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they NASA did not expect to find that. Mm-hmm, At least mm-hmm. from from people I've talked with, yes, NASA sure. did not expect to find that up there. So, so what now, do you think? What do you think happened with this uh, Native in, uh, Native Americans into space program? Where'd it go? Well, I uh, for two years I, I uh, nominated, I selected, and I you know interviewed the best and the brightest Navajos for the astronaut program. And during 2006 and 2007, they had a ceremony and they accepted those people into the Aries program. Mm-hmm. But they were, they, you know, they were, if they made it through the Aries program, then they would become astronauts. Right. And uh, now in 2019, I checked with uh, NASA. I called them back because I wanted to be able to talk about some of the things they told me in 2006. Yes. But I signed a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. And when I called back in 2019 to get permission, which I got permission from uh, NASA, there were all different people there. Oh, okay. And th- that they had cut back that program quite a bit mm-hmm. in 2019. Mm-hmm. But they that they said they were that program was still going, but they were limiting limiting that program to just students. I think it was in California on the West Coast. Oh, for God's sakes! Well, of all the places to pick, they had to pick California. Yeah. Kids from but kids from California, they were, they're going to do the job on Mars. Pardon me. The kids from California are going to do the job on Mars. You mean? Yeah. Well, well, they're 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 the ones that they're at least in 2019. They were allowing them into the program. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but there was one other thing that I just found out recently that happened on Mars that they that NASA wasn't expecting. And that was, I think it was the uh, the most recent rover that's up there. Yes. They were they were getting ready to drill a hole in a rock because that that rover has a type of a core driller that looks like a you know a, a metal cylinder and it goes down and picks out a core okay, like they sure. do with the ice up in Antarctica. Yep. Well, they they took this core bit or whatever you call it, and they dr- drilled it down into this rock that they wanted to sample from. And when they pulled the drill bit back out, 
it was empty. There was no core in there. Huh. And they took the camera and shoved it down into the hole in Mars and, and you know, on that yep. Martian rock. And there was nothing in the hole. And they could not figure out wow. from that rock what happened to that part of, part of the, the you know material that that rock was like the interior of that rock there was nothing to it you mean that yeah there was it went it would disappear what the they had no that, idea what caused it at least the last time I checked they had no idea what caused it to disappear like that and they also so, uh, announced it yesterday that they think that they might have found some kind of organic material on Mars well, well that's what I wanted to you know introduce to you mm -hmm. what I've been finding Go ahead. Uh, you know, in my research and see what, you know, all of you think about that. But you're correct. They, they just made an announcement that they were pretty sure that they have found uh, organic material again on Mars. Mm -hmm. That uh, they're pretty sure that it has, it, it'll indicate that they found life on Mars. Right. Now, it might not be alive now. But, it was. but it's evidence that there was life on Mars. See, that's the thing is that I think for some reason, and if Club was here, I think he'd agree with me, is that the James Webb telescope is suddenly the big boy in town. You know, I think that this finding organic life on Mars, uh, traces of organic life on Mars would have been a bigger headline. Uh, maybe if the world wasn't so effed up, maybe it would have been a bigger headline. But I think it would have been a bigger headline if nothing else was going on in space. But right now, a lot is going on. Oh, Space-wise, you know, this Artemis and then the thing, the James Webb thing is really kind of nuts and the UFO thing. So it's kind of strange, this thing that we've always been looking for. And maybe they think – and maybe when they confirm it, it will be a big deal. It should be a big deal. But Well, that's – yeah, that's what I, I'm thinking too because uh, now they – I'm, I'm believing from what I've seen so far in the evidence and the people I've spoken with that they NASA – actually has discovered extraterrestrial life on Mars. Something there, yeah. Well, it's and probably not that big they, of a they surprise. Can't, no. no, they can't. They have, a, uh, they have a, a, a cache of rocks right now that they're getting ready to send back to Earth right. to yep. examine further. Yep. Okay, and there's, I think there's 24 rocks in that cache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that they, uh, but, but they can't send it back until 2033. So they're oh, not going to be able to get the scientists mm -hmm. to work on it until 2033. Won't, won't, won't we be there by 2033? I mean, is that when that Mars is going to be closest to the Earth and everything kind of lines up again, that type of thing? Well, they've got to get a, another rocket out to Mars with the ability to send rockets back oh, to back. Earth okay. with those samples <laughs> with those on things. it. That's going to take a while, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, but I'm I am just scientifically from what I've seen, uh, I'm convinced that NASA has samples of extraterrestrial life mm -hmm. that they found on Mars, and mm -hmm. and there's reasons, there's circumstantial. You know, I'm not just making it up, but there's a lot of strong circumstantial evidence. Are they keeping it that, hidden? You mean they're keeping it secret? Well, no, they're they're saying that they have these organic samples, right? Yes. Okay, but they're saying that they cannot confirm them until they get them back oh, to the lab in, uh, you know, the uh, sure in Houston, you know, the lab that looks at the meteorites in eleven and they're years. They're going to analyze it further in eleven years. 
Yeah. But they, isn't this anonymous? They've done this, this. They've run into this situation before. Right. Isn't this Artemis thing going to be, aren't they going to land on Mars by 2033? It'll be a little bit of a moot point. Well, no, I don't think they'll be no. on Mars Until, oh, really? yeah. by 2033. Now, they might. Ten years. But, but yeah, they... Yeah, uh, that's short, actually. You you know, I mean, there's a... There's a uh, if you want to take it, there's a, a video that's out there that I made a note of that's a really neat video. And I it just was output put out recently, and I think it was by Elon Musk. Oh boy, who's he? And uh, it's called "The First Ten Thousand Days on Mars." Mm. It's a time lapse video. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting about what they expect to happen once they get on Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're gonna go. I mean, it's gonna happen. It just seems like uh, destined to happen, but. Um, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this though? Well, you, uh, why don't, can we? Uh, can you guys hang around here for a while, Neil? Doctor, can you hang? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay. All right. Um, why don't we take a commercial break now, real quick, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. So until you hear us next time, this is Mac Maloney for the entire gang saying, "Be safe, be happy, and bye bye." Okay, the show's over. Hey, Cobra, where are we going to eat tonight? Well, gentlemen. What do you feel like? Chinese, Italian, sushi? How about we go where they have the best hamburger in the world? And where would that be, one one? Only the Starboard Galley. Starboard Galley? They're a great seafood place, but they're in Newburyport, and we're in Exeter. But they're only 20 minutes away down Route 95, and believe me, they have the best hamburger in the world. Let's go. Okay, boys, license and registration. Where's the fire, you clowns going to the circus? We're in a hurry just to get the best hamburger in the world. And where's that, Pally? That's the Starboard Galley in Newburgh. The great seafood place? Yes, but they make a great hamburger, too. And they start with the best beef. Super fresh buns. Great toppings. Plus, it's only 20 minutes away from Mexico. 25 from Portsmouth. Not with a police escort, buddy. Light them up, Switchblade. Starboard Galley. They're here. That's the Starboard Galley, 55 Water Street, Newburyport. Great seafood and the best hamburger in the world. And tell them Juan wants at you. Hey, 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 hey. Am I making any sense at all? Does anyone speak English? Because everybody's acting like I'm crazy. Welcome back, everyone, to Macaroni's Tracks, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Macaroni. Wow, what a show we have you tonight. Yikes. Uh, first of all, very quickly, no JJ tonight, no CC, but uh, Switch is here, Switchy. Uh, great to be here. Two pop tots into the day. Also, uh, Raven, uh, a favorite good witch up there. Sideways so, Night, Raven. Hello, my friends. No bun tonight. Uh, Uncle Al is here. Al Ronaldo, the UFO mechanic. Hi, folks. Okay. Switchy is here. Switch is here. Switch, I'm sorry I, I, I introduced you out of order. No, you, you got me earlier. Okay, okay good. It's twice, so I, I oh, get... Oh, twice, yeah, okay. You got, you got a double introduction. Twi- no, I'm more I get red- uh, more residuals that way. More editing. Okay. Also yeah. with us is our good friend, Dr. Bob Gross from Chicago. Thank, Thank you for having me. Still a toddling town. We have to check in with you every time we talk to you. 
so far. Mm, okay. All right. So far. Uh, and also our uh, good friend Neil Gettys Ward from over there across the puddle in Weymouth, England. Weymouth, UK. Neil. Weymouth. Weymouth, UK. Hi, everybody. It must be very late over there now, right? It is. It's uh, 12 minutes past one. Really? Is it? Is it worth it staying up uh, late for, uh, with a bunch of drunk <laughs> I, I Americans so. or what? I think yeah. so. It's good topics of conversation and learning enough. a lot. Okay. All right. So um, now uh, tell us the name of your book and when is it coming out? Uh, hopefully it'll be out probably uh, probably in the spring of next year. Encounters with Fairies, Ghosts, and Spirits. And I spell fairies, F-A-E-R-I-E-S, the right. traditional Old English way of spelling fairies. Right. The correct way. Right. The correct way, indeed. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and this is Not a- that bastardized American English no. right now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who won the war? Listen. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> He's so fresh tonight. <laughs> listen, listen. So, so oh, how long did it take you Set, to uh, setting relations back by by fifty years? Oh, we did that weeks ago. So, how, how long did it take you to put this book together? Or how long is it taking you? Um, well, I've been collecting these kind of accounts, as I mentioned earlier, for the last fifteen years, and I decided that uh, I thought I really wanted to do this book at some point, and I thought, well, with all these lockdowns and things, was the opportune moment to kind of give it a go. So, I started to write at the beginning of the lockdown, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of at the tail end now. I'm kind of summing it up with uh, where we are with communicating with the afterlife. There's actually a company based in the States, interesting enough, called the Soul Phone Foundation. Okay, cool. And uh, they're basically trying to put together, I mean, they need funding, and, and the people that are working it are working it in their spare time in the evenings, but they're kind of scientists, engineers, that kind of people. Mm-hmm. But they're basically trying to put together a basic kind of cell phone or mobile phone technology to communicate with the afterlife. Which really? Is, which is... Uh, which I don't know how far off they are with it, but uh, mm-hmm. the idea is that, I mean, if spirits can apparently, you know, uh, operate um, apps on your phone or uh, mm-hmm. somehow leave a recording on your TV or your, your computer in some sure. way, then yes. there's not too far a fetch to stretch it to the idea that they can actually communicate through a cell phone in some way. I mean, there are, have been accounts of, of, of people, uh, you know, answering the phone and it's their dearest departed talking to them. Sure, yeah, so we've, we've done happen. segments on that. My question is, when's Xfinity going to get their freaking hands on this thing, calling into the afterlife? But look, so we've, we've talked about – hang on a second, please. Uh, so we've talked about many times on this show, not many times, but a number of times, where just these strange instances where someone will pass away and then you get a phone message from them. You, I mean, you literally get a phone call from them. Everything's okay mm-hmm. and so on. And it does at the time, it doesn't seem that weird until you find out that the person had passed away, you know, hours before or whatever. Uh, so, Neil, can you account for any of that? The tone, how's the phone company get involved? Well, yeah. Um I mean, I think these guys are stretching it to the next level, as I say. Um, there was accounts. I, I did hear of an account of someone that had been killed in an accident, and um, they managed to leave a voicemail on their phone, their mobile or cell phone, that was actually destroyed in the accident Jeez. somehow. Wow. And uh, somehow they managed to hear the message, even though the phone was destroyed completely virtually. Mm-hmm. And uh the, the, the phone company, the, the cell phone company, couldn't understand how it worked, what, by all accounts. So, what would you ask someone in the afterlife? I'll ask Switchy this question. If you had one question to ask Switch to someone in the afterlife, let's say it's a random person, because who knows who's going to pick up the phone? 
What, uh, what, what would I ask them? Oh, would you ask? And don't, don't. I would ask them to describe their surroundings. Okay. I thought he was going to say what you have for breakfast. That's a good one. That, that happens to me. That happens I ask to me. Neil. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll ask, first of all, who's paying for the call. There you um, go. See, finally, <laughs> finally that joke lands. You could really get screwed over <laughs> if it's absolutely. on your charge card. Uh, this, is, this is why spirits always call after six. <laughs> yes. but, uh, are, you, are you familiar with uh, uh, Phone Calls from the Dead by uh, Bayless and Rogo? I've uh, heard of the idea. I don't know about the name. Well, it's, it's a fascinating book, and it's. Uh, I think it may be out of print, and it may be at one of those third-party sellers that wants you to remortgage your house to buy it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I've actually copied mine several times for people so they could have it. But it is a. That's the first time I was exposed to it, and I thought it was just crap. And I wouldn't have touched that book unless. But but Scott Rogo, who was a really excellent researcher, because his name was on it, I picked it up. And it's it's just fascinating. Some of the, uh, I mean, sometimes the phone calls are, the, are like an anniversary of a death or whatever, and it's very brief. You know, people don't even realize at first mm. that they recognize the voice. But other ones are long conversations, okay. and and there was there's sometimes the conversations go on. Then later on, they find out the guy somebody's dead. So uh, it's a it's a very creepy. interesting phenomenon. Creepy, creepy thing. Hey, listen. Yeah. So listen. Thinking of another creepy thing. Uh, Raven, we've done a number of these on the show uh, in the past year or so, and it's uh, haunted paintings, right? Yeah, I I love a haunted painting. I love a haunted anything, but paintings specifically, like, I just love them. Go ahead. And I found one that I thought that we should talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I did send a picture of this in, in our group chat, um, but I would encourage anyone listening um, to Google this painting, just if you would like to have a visual um, so we're going to be talking about uh, the dead mother, and this is by Edvard Munch. Um, this yeah. was from 1900 or 1901. I saw both uh, in my research. I don't know which year is correct, so I wanted to mention them both. And this is oil on canvas. Um, so the name Edvard Munch, it might not ring a bell to you, but I bet if I mentioned the scream, uh, you would probably immediately picture uh, the streaks of the orange and the blue sky surrounding a screaming figure on a bridge. Um, So, like I said, we're going to be talking about Edvard Munch. Uh, He was born December 12th, uh, 1863. He's a Sagittarius in Adelsbrook, Norway. Uh, Munch uh, was an expressionist painter. Uh, which he often referred to as soul painting, as many other styles uh, never seemed to fit him the way Expressionism did. Um, his early years were good, uh, as good as they could be. Um, his parents weren't rich, they weren't poor, but they were kind of somewhere in the middle there. Um, they had like five kids. Um, but things took a turn quick. Um, his mother passed away from tuberculosis uh, when he was only five. Um, and after her passing, his father became abusive and completely obsessed with religion. Um, at 15, Munch lost his older sister, Sophia, also to tuberculosis. Um, and that really hit him hard. Uh, I'm sorry, I said Sophia. It's Sophie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sophie uh, was the sibling that he was closest to, um, and he completely adored her. And losing her to the same illness as his mother was devastating. And unfortunately, things would not improve. Um, And just a side note, uh, Munch also painted uh, The Sick Child, which was clearly inspired by the death of his sister. Mm. Um, He would end up coming back to both The Sick Child and The Dead Mother numerous times uh, between 1886 and 1926. Um, 
so he actually ended up total over those over those uh what is that 30 years ish yeah uh six different pieces inspired by those paintings Mm -hmm. um which is very sad to Mm -hmm. think of because i mean it really shows you how traumatic these losses were for him and he was never really able to get past what happened or accept it Mm. um but anyways we're going to move forward so addiction and mental illness uh was a constant um in Edward's life, uh, and it's believed that his paintings reflected the trauma and the anxieties that he experienced and and never was really able to get over, mm-hmm. um, such as evident in The Dead Mother. Um, again, I encourage you to Google it uh, if you would like that visual. Um, and again, this is painted in 1900 or 1901, not sure, and it's an oil on canvas. Uh, this painting depicts a little girl holding her hands um, to cover her, her ears, um, and her eyes are wide open, and she appears distressed. Um, behind the little girl is a woman, presumably her dead mother, mm. um, laying in bed, She's pale, um, but eerily very calm looking and very, uh, I don't want to say comfortable, but that's like the only thing that comes to my mind when I look at this. Yes. Um, And the painting itself is all the way disturbing. Um, It has a tragic backstory, uh, but what makes the dead mother even creepier uh, are the stories that the previous owners tell. Okay. People who have owned this uh, claim that the little girl's eyes incessantly follow them uh, and that the sheets on the mother's bed would move and audibly rustle around. Um, And sometimes uh, the little girl would just leave the painting altogether. Mm. Um, And like they they wouldn't see her anywhere else uh, from everything I've been able to find. She would just be gone. Wow. How weird. People who have viewed it, uh, they also report feeling uneasy or a sick feeling or an overwhelming sense of dread. Mm. Um, like so the Edward show. Munch, um, he died in his home in Eckley on January 23rd, 1944 of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this is just another really weird side note I wanted to add in. Um, Nazi-occupied Europe uh, had actually banned all of his paintings, um, but... Thankfully, most of his pieces survived World War II, and even though uh, Munch was an opponent of the Nazis, because he was in their territory, they actually held an official funeral for him after he died. (laughs) Wow, huh? Um, I thought that was very... I don't know what to feel about that, honestly, because I, I, I love this artist, and I'm like, that's kind of gross but at the same time like thank you for burying mm-hmm. him I, I don't know i don't know how to feel about it's it those wacky um, nazis that's all that's okay. yeah but uh that that is uh the dead mother hmm. it is a beautiful painting um the only thing that bothers me is it doesn't look like oil on canvas to me it yes. looks like it's a pastel but mm-hmm. i i i mean he has a very different painting style than things that i typically uh like to look at Yes. Hey, uh, Neil. Painting. Should look it up. Neil Getty's Ward. You're a uh, artist, right? Mm, okay. That's right. So, so first of all, let's just go to uh, uh, Munch's fa- uh, most famous painting is the Scream, which is a very kind of um, it's not modern art yet, right? Or is it? Do you know? Uh, I'm asking you. Like I'm you not know. really sure if it's modern art. Okay, I mean, so, considering so when it was done, it's never been my cup of tea. It's really way. kind of a crazy <laughs> painting, you know. And and yeah. my question is, why is something like that, um, you know, accepted as 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 like this, you know, tremendous work of art, like like a lot of Van Gogh stuff, you know, is like you know, yeah. it all happened after he died. But 
munches the scream as you see it everywhere, and it's just something that is it's the one who's his greatest hit, let's say. But this yeah, other one, yeah, the, the, it's, it's, it's on mugs and shirts and everything. Yes, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe just lots of people that have kind of identified with the subject matter, the mental health issues around mm-hmm. it, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. rather than the actual painting as a realistic, realistic picture. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a realistic picture, but yeah, it's like what's going on inside the mind of the artist yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that picture it, is is. I'm sorry, that picture is famous, and so it must be worth a lot of money. So. Is this dead mother picture? I mean, I can't imagine it's just knocking around someone's uh, attic, right? Well, apparently, I mean, people have spent millions to get it. Mm-hmm. And and then it's, you know, it's like a lot of things, like it's it's resold and resold. But I do want to remind everyone, Andy Warhol is also a famous painter, <laughs> which is very disturbing Go because ahead. he is a hack. You oh, heard it here oh, first. Why? He is a hack. How dare and I you. just want to say, I'm going to put my foot down for Munch and Van Gogh. Yes. Come on. When it co- come on, what? they can wipe the floor with Warhol. I'm but, just saying. All right, listen. I rest my case. Is it up to me to educate you on this, Raven? Because I know nothing about art, but <laughs> I do. I do know this: is that you know uh, Andy Warhol was he was like kind of an anti-artist. I'm not going to defend him, but he was kind of a he was kind of an anti-artist at at you know at the beginning, and then his his gig was to kind of turn uh, you know society on you know on its on its head. I mean, if you can sell a a, a painting of a tomato soup can for four or five million dollars, mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't you do that? I and I I get that. But I feel like he started out like, oh, I'm going to do this and prove a point and stick it to the man. Well, he did. Whatever. Yes. yes. But, like, was, you, I mean, but you cashed in on it in the end. Yes. He was high, Van Gogh died face down, you know. Yeah, that's his tough life. Well, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I'm just saying. Andy Warhol makes my blood boil because he's an artist, but I... Wow. I I'm sorry, hard pass on that. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's where he was there from. There was an Andy Warhol museum there yes and there are some very he uh he used to be a designer like a shoe designer before mm-hmm. yep. he really got into you know Stuff. art there's some very i mean his his mind is out there yep but that's what makes artists artists yes right exactly mm-hmm. right i actually went uh, to an exhibit of his years ago and i i enjoyed it mm-hmm. i just don't like him <laughs> you know like i just flat out where's the him. anger come from then <laughs> So listen, let me just uh, real quick about Andy Warhol. Real quick was, you know, his uh, a fan of his shot him once in his studio. Yeah, mm-hmm. shot him like five or six times. They <laughs> they come down. They 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 carry him down to the sidewalk, and he's like a minute away from death. They're putting him into an ambulance, and two guys are walking along the street, and one of them goes, "What's the matter with this man?" He says, "Well, he's just been shot six times. We're bringing him to Beth Israel Hospital." He says, "No, no, bring him to New York University Hospital. I'll be right there." This guy turned out to be the best gun wound surgeon in the world. He was an Italian. He just happened to be in New York Jeez. City, and he saved his yep. life. He saved he saved Andy Warhol's life just on that. You know who knows? You know if the guy had, you know, uh, stopped for a piece of gum or a light a cigarette, he would never have uh, you know saved Andy Warhol's life. Yeah, I'm sorry, Raven. That does so that make funny? you feel? Yeah. Does, does, that, does that soften your opinion about Andy, Alfred? No. 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 Oh, okay. All right. All right. Like cold, cold love there from uh, from Raven. Okay. Fine. Wow. So in a few Didn't minutes. Did he do a movie on Frankenstein or 
Yeah, well. yes. yeah, one of yeah. those. Yeah, and he did. He was in with the um, Velvet Underground, which I never cared for them either. But they did a lot of kind of crazy yeah. stuff. And, and I, I like the Velvet Underground. That's the other really? weird thing. Oh, I just can't stand him. Okay, all right. Well, sorry, you're, you're Andy. Con- Raven, you're so conflicted. She really is. I yeah. am. Is you that- know, and I, we talked about this last night when we were on Peter's show. Okay. I'm a flip flopper when it comes to that. Flip flopper. Okay. All right. Let's remember but that. I hate Andy Warhol. Low key. Bio. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we know. <laughs> So, uh, so Neil, so listen, so um, just talk about, let's talk about ghost stories in the, in the few minutes we have left here. So ghost stories are always fascinating. Ghost stories are universal, right? Everybody around the mm-hmm. world sees ghosts, Eskimos, right, to the Sahara Desert and so on. Yeah, I mean, ghost stories go back thousands of years. One of my favorite ones is from England, a city of York, which is kind of got a, steeped in history. Vikings lived there. The Romans lived there. Very There's a guy Very... back in 1953 called, um, I forgot his name now, but he was a plumber, an apprentice plumber. Yes. And he was uh, digging in the basement of this building, installing pipes in this house. So it's a 17th century house. And he was up a ladder in the basement trying to drill holes and he heard this strange strange sound coming out the wall and he thought what the hell's that and it sounded like a horn blown it originally thought it was a radio or something yes but he was awestruck to see below him roman centurions marching through the wall on horses uh and he fell backwards off his ladder and hid in the corner fearing that these romans would see him but they appeared to take no notice of him and he could only see them from the knees up but as soon as they reached right. a trench that yes. had been excavated harry martindale that's the name of the guy as an excavated trench in the basement of this old building did their legs appear and he noticed that they were unshaven and they were covered in mud and he could actually hear them talking in a language that he didn't understand and one of the very last romans i think he spotted about 15 of them one of the very last romans to pass through the wall was this guy holding this great big horn that they used to blow to announce their return to the fort or wherever they came from yep um now, he saw that in November 1953, and a number of years later, in 1957, in the February of 1957, the same ghosts were seen by a housekeeper of this place. She had taken over looking after the house, but this time she saw the Romans asleep on their horses as they came through the wall. Mm. So they were doing a slightly different action, but they were still covered in mud. And I was thinking about this and wondering, were these typical ghosts, i.e. recordings on the atmosphere, but I'm thinking more likely because they saw them in their winter times of their years mm-hmm. that they saw the Romans covered in mud, which suggests that the Romans were in their winter time. Mm. Yes. And I wonder if they're looking through a window through time, like a broadcast from the Roman times back to the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing that Harry Martindale described, that he said that these Romans were wearing green tunics with uh, round shields and small daggers. Now, no one had ever seen Romans with round shields and and, and green tunics. And it turned out that in the 1990s, some archaeologists dug deeper into this mystery, and they found what they thought were called uh, Roman auxiliary soldiers around that time. So Mm. when the main Roman army left and went back to Rome, these Romans, which were probably made up of the populace of Britain at the time, yep. were left in charge, but they were given lesser uniforms, but yeah. still represented the Roman Empire. Yes. And this is exactly what Harry Martindale had spotted. So he was spotting something that wasn't widely known about, and he knew nothing, this guy. He was just mm. an apprentice plumber. How would he have known? Right. Yeah, boy, good point. I mean, so, you know, a lot of times, too, We've again, we've talked about this before. Like, for instance, the, the fort where uh, Custer and the 7th Cavalry left – to uh, go meet their fate. If you go there now, supposedly you can still like hear the horses in the stable. You can, you know, various things are going on. But 
they see soldiers, they see soldiers on horses, but they they it's I think Switch even said it, it's it's like you're looking at an old film, you know these people are not interacting with you, they can't see you, they are just this happened years and years and years ago, and they have, for whatever reason we don't know it's happening again, or one of us someone can see it, you know, and that's the strange thing, right? I was in an old restaurant in Old Mesilla, New Mexico. Uh-huh. And it was called the Double Eagle Restaurant. And there were a group of us. And uh, at, at dinner that evening, we were at a like a uh, banquet area. And there was there were mirrors all over the walls around the, the table that I was sitting at. Uh-huh. And I was t- talking to a lady directly in front of me across the table. And the person next to her screamed. Uh-huh. And. She that lady was looking into the mirror off to her right, and she saw a ghost flash by Mm. the mirror. When I looked over to see what she was looking at, I could see uh, an image like a a vapor in that mirror, and then it disappeared. Mm. And then when I was leaving the restaurant, this old Messiah Double Eagle restaurant was where Billy the Kid used to hang out. And there were several people shot during that. Sure. I I went into the restroom before I left the restaurant. Yes. And when I walked in the restroom, there was a... uh, a man using the urinal. Yes. And then there was, uh, and there was a, a man, uh, you know, he, I, I used the uh, stall, shall we call it? Go ahead. Okay? Yes. Yes. So when I came out of the stall, the uh, man who was using the urinal, he was washing his hands in the sink. As he okay? should be. Yes. And uh, he, he started, he moved aside and I went to, uh, I started washing my hands in the sink and, and the man was still standing there, like straightening himself out. Yes. And I was standing there with my wet hands looking in the mirror. And all of a sudden they had one of those cranks, like for paper towels, yes. like you, it wasn't automatic, but it was a metal crank. Yes. And the crank cranked out two towels for me with nobody there. <laughs> that was thoughtful. It was the ghost the of the uh, was standing there. He wiped his hands on his pants and ran out, out of the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no so wait, I have a question. So in the banquet, in the banquet hall, when you say that there was mirrors on the wall, right. was this like on, on, you know, left to right mirrors facing each other? Or was this like mirrors that met at a corner on like either like walls that connected the mirror where we saw the vapor was like off to my left and it was just a big mirror on just that wall just like that, straight, okay. a, straight ahead of me was just other tables okay but the, the, but the one lady was looking talking to her friend and she was looking at the mirror and, she, and there was been known to have ghosts appear in that room mm-hmm. yeah and she saw it and she screamed and when i looked over you know what she was looking at i could see a vapor take off but then that wow. thing happened to me when i went to the restroom yeah that same restaurant like that, that night. like yeah back to back in one night oh that's crazy None of this I wonder that it's still there it wouldn't flush the toilet for you though wait a second no. <laughs> that's not a that's not a full service ghost for crying out loud <laughs> well, i left the quarter for yeah you. i was gonna say did you give him a quarter <laughs> yeah. give you a little packet of aftershave wow huh but, it, but then when i was leaving <laughs> the restaurant they had a cage with parrots in it Okay. When yes. I walked by that cage, the parrots went nuts. Really? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> well, those That's parrots, so they weird. sense things that we don't. That's interesting. Wow. 
So we have a few minutes left. So, uh, Neil, after this book comes out, what do you have planned for the future? I guess uh, I will probably go around talking about that book and probably planning on the next book mm -hmm. as well as doing some more paintings. Uh, mm -hmm. Busy. Uh, one of my last pictures I painted was at the Titanic, would you believe? I don't oh, really paint them sort of things, but I painted the Titanic for my old school teacher mm -hmm. who got got back in contact with me many, many years later, 40 years ago. I was mm -hmm. learning under him and he was a fan of the Titanic. He actually grew up in the area where the Titanic was built mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland. So wow. he contacted me and said, oh, I want you to, you know, he remembered me being quite a good artist at school. And he said, I want you to paint the Titanic for me. So my girlfriend and I did this Titanic painting for us. Yeah. So, uh, is the Titanic sinking or is it uh, better days? Well, I did say to him, I said, do you want it sinking or non-sinking? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I mean, that's what I would ask too, yeah. <laughs> but I, you, I, uh... I guess I got a good deal because I painted half a ship. Yes. I've still got to pay the, the, the same amount of money, you know. Yeah, so. okay. Because it was sinking. Were you listening to the Titanic soundtrack in the background? Anything like that? <laughs> no, but I did watch the, the original movie, A Night to Remember. That's a crazy was, movie, yeah. Yes. Real accounts right. of people on the Titanic. Yep. You know, that was quite interesting. Yep. So Leonardo wasn't in that one, right? No, he no. wasn't in that one. But oh. they had an interesting story in there, which I read in one of the books, actually. It's supposedly true, where um, as this guy's trying to break down doors to help people escape, uh, you know, they're, they're in their, 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 their rooms and they can't get out as the boat's going down. Yes. This hero manages to break down the doors and one of the stewards of the Titanic says, you're going to have to pay for that damage. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. Good luck to, with that. Sorry to say the this. Kick, they said. Isn't that typical British, though? I mean, Neil, yeah, we don't want to jump yeah. on you, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, no, it's just typical British. <laughs> absolutely. Another dig at the Brits. No, Look no, no listen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matt loves no, that. No, no, of course I don't. I've got British heritage, buddy, so you okay. be careful. I got Irish heritage. What do you want to make? Do you want to Yeah. Want to do something about it? <laughs> yeah, let's 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 stage let's have one of those fights in Boston. I'll come. Let's do it. Mac and Switchy's big fight oh. in Boston. Switch would we'll switch would kick my ass. He'd kick my ass. I wouldn't even try. I think one, well, you know, I, one punch I'd be out. I, I might hire somebody to do my work for me. Yeah, there you go. Wow. <laughs> we'll do it at the UFO festival. There you go. Yeah, there there you go. Go. yeah. <laughs> I did. Uh, incident at Exeter. Yes, <laughs> second incident. Yeah. I did find uh, your Instagram and your artwork is beautiful. Um, oh, so thank definitely you. Definitely encourage oh, wow. people to look that up as well. Yeah. Huh? Thank you very much. Do you thank have like you. a, a yeah. neilgettiswar.co.uk okay. if people want to see the artwork. I said that one thank more you. time because I might have stepped on it. Yeah. Okay. Neil Geddes Ward, without the hyphen, neilgettiswar.co.uk. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, cool. How long does it take it you did. to do a painting? It really depends on what's in there. I mean, I can, if you'd like to look at my screen behind me, okay. you can see one on the wall behind me there. Oh, yes. That took, oh, about, like that uh, that took about two months, that one, but that wow. was painted many, many years ago in oils. Yeah, yeah. It's called Enchanting Morgan Le Fay. And wow. It's set on Glastonbury Tour, which is in Somerset in England. Man, I can barely Tales of King Arthur. do a uh, stick figure. So anyone who can do that, my hat's off to them. I majored to be an art teacher, and I, I didn't end up being an art teacher, but I still like paint and draw, and mm -hmm. I never named any of my my paintings or anything. Yes. So it would drive my art teachers crazy when I had to bring them to shows because I would always label them like cigarette one, oh, cigarette right. two. Because it would just like, they were always like, now you need to stop smoking. And I'm like, mm -hmm, <laughs> okay, sure. thank you. And so that was what I would do. And they would get so mad, but I never named anything. 
<laughs> is that what was that? Was that your way of uh, getting back at the man? You mean not that was my man? way of sticking it to the man? Sticking it yep. to the man. Okay, interesting. Right. Anyway, one more thing for Neil. Uh, I think off air we talked about a uh, great book by Scott Rogo, long out of print, called "Phone Calls from the Dead." Yes, I found out Neil, you can grab a copy for three hundred and one dollars and sixty nine cents. That's okay. One left. Well, low, so, low, low price. Uh, act now. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's no, right. there's a place on the internet called the Archive Records or something. I'll try and track it down. But I managed to track down some books that I'm reading online, and they seem to have copies. You just like register I would with hope them that and read these there. books it's online. A, yeah, I think it's it a really valuable be. work. And uh, yeah, you know. hmm. I mean, three hundred dollars is very reasonable. I think. Mm-hmm. Can you get I, it I and return so. it? <laughs> Especially if you have a GoFundMe. Yeah. <laughs> I have an ongoing GoFundMe so I can buy books. What's the GoFundMe for? What was that? Uh, okay, never mind. Probably didn't want to get into that. So listen, Neil, please. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us. We really appreciate it. Please come back when the book comes out. I will. Okay. I will indeed. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed that. Uh, also, Dr. Bob, thank you for joining us once again. Dr. Bob. Thank you for having me. Okay. How's that marijuana prescription mission going for us? Any- uh, still working on it. They, they're sending much. it. He's a doctor, the only doctor we know. Thank you, uh, doctor. And we're going to be uh, doing something special next month, maybe, with um, UFO fraudsters, something along those lines. Oh, okay. great. To be interesting. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Al Renato. Thank you, Al. Uncle Al. Hey, glad to be here, okay. man. Thank you for having me. Okay. Your cat's um, all asleep now? Or is, his cats eat his uh, pot plants. And- and I stopped picking them up because it made Raven <laughs> laugh every time I did. Because oh, you weren't looking and- we saw it, but you didn't. Okay, okay, whatever that means. Thank you. We appreciate Al for you being here. Switchy, thank you for being here. Switch dropping in for the entire show. Switchy. How about that? Yeah. Uh, great to be here. And my cats have been asleep for hours. Really? Which means tonight they're not going to be asleep. Oh. They're not they're running around. They're going to go wild. In a couple of minutes we have left, how did the um, Mothman Festival go? And then you have a festival this weekend, right? It was the, the biggest, crowd, most crowded festival really? ever, and I, I was the MC, and I also did the uh, the Hayride tour at night. And every group I asked, who were the new people and who were the veterans? Yes. The new people uh, were more like two thirds to one third. Really? Amazing, just yeah. wow. yeah. it's phenomenal. Saturday or Sunday, which usually winds down, that was more like a busy Saturday. Wow. You could barely move. Wow. I was just as happy to be uh, have have. Uh, uh, things to do yep. and not uh, not to have to wander around too much. Yeah, yeah. So it was extremely successful. So yeah, th- there were thousands of people there. In other words, right? thousands. I usually get like ten to twelve thousand. Yep. I can't even imagine how many more really? they got this wow, time. That's great, there, yeah, Switchy. That's great, and and yeah. it was great. I introduced people like Nick Redfern, Ken Gerhard, mm-hmm. uh, Lyle Blackburn, and uh, so it was. Uh, and I even got to speak. Oh wow! Huh? Yeah. Huh? Cool. Did you wear the shirt? A t-shirt? Oh no. Uh, uh, no, I, I wear, wore, what did I wear? Oh, I wore, uh, John Keel rules. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's, uh, if you're not going to wear our shirt, why not wear that one? Thank you, Switchy. We appreciate it. We'll talk I to you soon. All right? Oh, but I did show our shirt. Oh, I was good. standing in front of the Mothman statue oh. with the shirt on. And with the quarter in his ass, same thing? Well, same, I was also standing view. behind oh. my, my tagline at the very end that the truth is revealed in the end. Oh. And you see the uh, shiny posterior of the Mothman oh. and me looking at it with a Mac Maloney t-shirt on my back. Now you're embarrassing us in front of our British friend. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, any publicity is good publicity, okay. Mac. <laughs> Thank you, Switchy. We appreciate that. My now. pleasure. Uh, also, Raven, it's that time of night where we have to say goodbye, Raven. 
I know. I'm so sad. I hate this time of night. Yes, me too. But thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And uh, I should do the plugs now, I guess, right? Homes for Our Troops. Homes for Our Troops is an organization that raises money for veterans of post 9 11 military action. That would be the Iraqi war and also uh, the war in, in Afghanistan. These are folks who came home. A lot of the missing limbs and things like that, that they, um, wounds that they uh, got in battle. And um, what Homes for Our Troops does is that they raise money and they build houses for these veterans uh, adapted to their special needs. So in other words, they have lower counter spaces. They have very few steps, things like that, uh, lower light switches, things of that nature. And then when they build the house, uh, when the house is complete, uh, they rip up the mortgage. They give the keys to the veteran and it's their house for free. And um, 85% of the people who are involved in this program want to just leave I hate to use the word, but normal lives, okay? So because they don't have that thing of a mortgage payment every month hanging over their heads. Uh, Homestrap Troops have already done almost, I think they're coming up on 300 houses, and the median price of these things, or the price, the average price of these things is like $480,000. So these are really nice houses. Homestrap Troops, just go on Google, see what they're up to. 88 cents of your charity dollar uh, goes to our veterans. So um, we thank Homestrap Troops, and we hope that you will see what they're up to, okay? And um, let's see, next week, Raven, we're going to pick the winners out of the Magic Fishbowl of the God Satellite Contest. Remember that? We did that? I do. Okay. I'm very excited for that. Okay, so we have to get the uh, Magic Fishbowl to you by FedEx with everyone's name in it. And hopefully it doesn't get hacked on the way. You remember what's happened last time? Yeah, you know, I mean... People open the package along the way, and they add their names, and they Something. reseal it. So it's it's touch and go. Mostly Russians and uh, animals that Coco owns, you know, as it turns out. But that's probably it's a coincidence. always animals Coco owns uh, and Russians. Right. I don't get it. I don't get it either. So anyway, um, we'd like to thank everyone for listening in. And this is Mac for the entire game. So <laughs> you hear us next time. Please be safe, be happy, and bye-bye. <laughs>